questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. UFO researchers have long steered clear of religion for good reasons. The last thing they want is to be thought of as cultists who worship UFOs, as many debunkers have claimed. As a result, much of UFO research in the past 50 or so years has centered on the use of scientific methods to document and quantify the many thousands of UFO sightings and encounters reported from the world over. However, some researchers and UFO experiencers have seen elements of the phenomenon as having religious and spiritual undertones. One of the issues that separates the two camps is the question of when UFOs first appeared on planet Earth. Is there good evidence that proves they have been here for thousands of years? Examine the evidence and decide for yourself during this scholarly approach by this week's guest, the author of the God Hypothesis, Extraterrestrial Life and Its Implications for Science and Religion. Greetings, I'm your host, Mel Fabregas at Veritas Radio. If you want to listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. And if you want to get in touch with me, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. I always love to hear from you. Tonight's special guest is Dr. Joe Lewis, who holds a PhD in journalism and mass communication from the University of Missouri and is a certified hypnotherapist. He was chairman of the Departments of Journalism and Mass Communication at the University of Texas at El Paso from 72 to 82. He served as assistant state director for the West Texas and Southern New Mexico for the Mutual UFO Network, MUFON, from 93 to 2000 and was a regular contributor to the MUFON Journal. He edited the Freedom of Information Digest at the University of Missouri and was a writer and editor of the U.S. Army Aviation Digest at Fort Rocker, Alabama. Additionally, he was awarded the Bronze Star and the Air Medal with Oak Leaf Clusters for his service as an Army Reconnaissance Pilot in the Republic of South Vietnam from 1967 to 68. Dr. Joe Lewis joins us directly from his hometown of El Paso, Texas, just a few hundred miles from me. Hello, Dr. Lewis, and welcome to Veritas. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you for the call. I appreciate the opportunity to speak to your audience. My pleasure. And first of all, thank you for your service to our country. I appreciate that. Thank you. With your permission, by the way, may I call you Joe? Yes, that's fine. Thank you. With your permission, I want to read the dedication in your book, because I know it will resonate with many of our listeners. You say, quote, this book is dedicated to those who have experienced, quote unquote, alien encounters, and to those who have dedicated their lives to discovering the truth behind the UFO mystery. May God grant you the courage to face the truth when you find it, and the wisdom to know how to use it for the benefit of your fellow human beings, unquote. And I read that because a lot of our listeners, Joe, have gone through this, and to dedicate this to them, it's 
It's very important. But first of all, when and why did you begin to research the UFO topic and the alien phenomena? Well, I actually started in 1993 when I attended my first UFO conference. Uh, it uh, it was the Ozark Conference in um, Arkansas. Yeah. And I, I went to that conference uh, uh, as a result of a conversation I had over the phone with Linda Bolton Howe, a UFO researcher that I'm sure you're, you're a listener. Oh, she's a good friend. Familiar with. Yeah. And uh, I had uh, been in contact with her and read her books and uh, seen the videos that she had produced. And I was very impressed. Uh, I liked the fact that she had a master's degree in uh, journalism from Stanford University, uh, very good credentials and very good researcher. So uh, I asked if there was uh, at some point where if she was going to be speaking, where I I would go and and meet her and listen to her speak. Uh, And what happened is she said that she would be speaking. uh, It would be a few months uh, from then at at the Ozark Conference in, in Arkansas. And she said, why don't you go? And I, at that time, this was in 19, when I had this conversation, it was 1992, late 92. Uh, the conference was in April of 93. Uh, I was working at the time uh, as a financial advisor uh, for a large investment company. Uh, and I, I was um, a little concerned about uh, becoming involved in, in the UFO uh, area because um, I I didn't think that my my company uh, or my clients would be uh, too thrilled with that idea, but at the at the last minute I decided to go to the conference, and um, just out of curiosity I was just going to really just be a spectator, not get involved. Uh, and what happened was um, I had a kind of a chip on my shoulder because. I didn't really understand the kind of people that went to UFO conferences. I, I really uh, had a low opinion of whatever a UFO conference was. Uh, it, it, it was, um, I, I was ignorant. And also, you know, I had a PhD, I had been a college professor, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so what happened was uh, that that chip got knocked off of my shoulder that weekend. Uh, And what did it was when I heard the keynote speaker, uh, someone that I had never heard of, and that was Dr. John Mack of Harvard University. And when he spoke and he talked about having already uh, worked with over 100 experiencers, he called them abductees. uh, I prefer experiencer. uh, He uh, said that he had not found any signs of mental disorder. And really, that blew me away because he had the most amazing credentials you could ever imagine. And uh, it was that weekend that um, I got I realized that there were some really serious people that were involved in UFO research. And I decided to come back to El Paso, uh, start a chapter of MUFON, and see if there were people in El Paso that were having these experiences. And I wanted to verify uh, for myself, what Dr. Mack and others uh, had been saying and writing about. And um, so I did. And, and that's another chapter in the story. So I'll let you go on from there. 
It's interesting that you left academia and then you were in the business world. I was in the business world before I started, and I still am, but I'm independent. If I were employed, I was employed by a Fortune 100 company for many years, I wouldn't be able to to do that today. With the advent of social media and the topics mm-hmm. that I discussed, there's no way I could do that. So in your case, you have a PhD from a fine university. You were a financial consultant, and yet you were becoming entrenched in the UFO world too. Did you feel yeah. any incongruity at all? How did you incorporate well, all these seemingly well, far-fetched ideas into your ordinary life? You know, I I was living in two different worlds at that point. I was uh, like Clark Kent and Superman. <laughs> right. Um, I, you know, by day, I was the mild-mannered financial advisor that everybody knew me as in, in my community. Uh, and by night and weekends, I was conducting uh, UFO research, but uh, spe- specifically, uh, I was working with uh, people who had had contact experience. And um, I, I was, I got so involved in that, I formed a team. Uh, and this is the way I think it should be done. Uh, after all, my background as a journalist and as a social scientist. Uh, caused me to, if I was going to get involved, I was going to do it in a very scientific way and in a way that would be above reproach. So what I did was I uh, put together a team of psychiatrists, uh, social workers, uh, uh, certified hypnotherapists, uh, and we began to to see and interview and screen uh, a number of people who had had these experiences uh, who came to us as a result of uh, the fact that we had a MUFON chapter. And um, and I was amazed at how many people came to us. And El Paso is in an unusual uh, place because we're on the Mexican border. So uh, we were getting, and we have a huge uh, air defense uh, base, Fort Bliss here. We aren't that far from Holloman Air Force Base, just a, a, about 80, 90 miles up the road. We've got White Sands Missile Range, uh, which is a very secretive place. Uh, And we were getting some really interesting cases uh, that um, uh, some of which I really couldn't even talk about or or describe in my book. But what happened was that um, I I found it so intriguing that um, I was doing quite a bit of this work on the side and trying to keep a low pro profile here um, in my community. I did that for, you know, uh, I was at, uh, that was 20 years. Let's see, I started, yeah, so 20, for 20 years, I was living this double life. I really, even just now talking to you uh, tonight, I I feel like I have escaped the, the, uh, uh, the, the magnetic field of corporate America because I retired almost four years ago and uh, I can now be more forthcoming and not worried about who's going to hear this, um, you know, on your radio show, if they're local, if they're El Pasoans or if they're former clients or even my former employers at this point, I really don't care. But can you imagine uh, writing this book, uh, having it become public, uh, going to speak at conferences, uh, not just all over the, the country, but also abroad, 
and and not having anybody know in my hometown what I was doing. That creates stress in your life, you know, uh, and and I found that to be quite stressful. It reminds me of uh, the story of Doug, and you know him, I believe, uh, our good friend, Dr. Leo Sprinkle. He actually oh, yeah. cried on my radio program when we discussed his story and how the university found out what he was doing and basically almost let him go. And yeah. it's it's very yeah. sad when these matters, all these people who are out there, and when you think of 50% of the population in the United States believes in extraterrestrial life and UFOs and all this, does that mean that we need to send them to a psychotherapist or do we need to take this more seriously and offer more guidance? Yeah, we we definitely need to change the paradigm. In fact, uh, you know, that's about that's the the uh, the gist of of the book is that we're in the middle of a paradigm shift in this country in a lot of ways. Um, and, and a lot of that has been brought about because of new discoveries in science, particularly in quantum physics, which we can talk about later. But, yeah, we do need to change the paradigm. Uh, people uh, really, it, uh, the needle really has not moved much in terms of the percentages of people that believe that UFOs are real. Uh, in spite of people like John Mack, who came forward, he wrote two books, he was very public, he almost got fired from Harvard University because of this. Uh, there's, there's a danger out there. Uh, and I, uh, it, it's what I call uh, the alien heresy. In, in a few hundred years ago, if you were a heretic, you'd be burned at the stake, okay, uh, and tortured uh, before you were burned at the stake. Today, if you step outside the bounds of what's acceptable, uh, accepted reality. Uh, fortunately, we're not burnt at the stake, but we are marginalized. You know, you can lose your job, uh, just like what happened with Leo Sprinkle, yeah. what almost happened with with Dr. John Mack, uh, it, my good friend Bob Dean, who lives there in, in, in uh, Arizona. Yeah. Uh, he lost a job uh, because he was speaking out publicly. Uh, and, and, and many others, uh, I have, I know a number of people who um, made the mistake of going to their preacher, their minister, or their priest to tell them about their experiences as abductees or uh, as or just contact well, people who would have contact. And the, the result was they were asked not to come back to their church. So this is a, a dangerous field to get involved in, and I felt that pressure uh, all the time that I was doing it. I was always in fear that I would lose my job, that I would be fired because the you know research into UFOs does not go hand in hand with financial advice, giving people financial advice. Uh, it, interestingly, it never seemed to be a, a dilemma for me. It didn't it didn't enter into my uh, uh, the advice that I gave to clients. It was uh, I saw a very sharp delineation because. Um, the, the fields are really quite separated, but nevertheless, it, you don't want to be made to uh, to be uh, out to be a kook, and and that's what ha that's what happens to people in this field. And uh, so, uh, to to put it as concisely as I can, uh, it was um, 
it's a quite stressful thing to go public when you're involved in these things. I even warn experiencers that I work with, you know, they, they, they feel so liberated when they've uncovered the truth about their experiences through uh, hypnotic regression. And uh, they want to go out and, and tell everybody they're so happy. But I always caution them, look, you don't go telling people because they won't understand, they won't believe, uh, and uh, and you'll just be very disappointed. And that inevitably, that's what happens, even with family members. Well, it happens with every profession, but I think uh, pilots come to mind. I've met many pilots at UFO conferences, you know, former airline captains who were never able to, able to share their stories. And I even have a relative who's a key executive at a major airline who tells me that one of the things that pilots are not supposed to talk about is if they saw a UFO. Why? Because sure. if any any passenger hears that, they're going to think that the person is crazy and that's going to hurt the airline's reputation. But let's begin with the book. What is your definition of the God hypothesis? Well, the term the God hypothesis was coined by originally by a, a very interesting uh, man by the name of Barry Downing. Uh, Barry Downing uh, is a, a PhD. Uh, he has degrees in physics and divinity uh, and served as a Presbyterian minister for more than 40 years. Uh, in 1968 or 9, I forget exactly, he published a book called uh, The Bible and Flying Saucers. This is a book that I picked up at that first conference in 1993 at the vendor area, I thought it was kind of a silly um, title to tell you the truth, but I, I picked it up and started looking through it. And I saw his his biographical information. I thought, ooh, this guy, he's a very interesting person to write such a book. Uh, and then uh, also it turned out that Barry Downing was on the board of directors of MUFON, uh, had um, – lectured at MUFON conferences, the international conferences <clears throat> on, on several occasions, and um, he was a consultant to MUFON on theological issues. Um, so I got the book and I read it, and I thought, wow, how come I was raised as a Presbyterian uh, for most of my life, and I never saw UFOs in the Bible or flying saucers in the Bible, and I thought, when I read that book, I thought, well, you know, I just, no one ever pointed these things out to me. I was astonished at the, the um, how much the events in the Bible were about aerial phenomena and an unknown aerial phenomena that were always uh, interpreted by the people who experienced them as being either God or angels. And so that really got me interested in how the UFO phenomena relates to religion and, of course, science. Because uh, as I see it, it the, there's such a gap between science and religion, uh, and there just doesn't seem to be any way to get the two together. Uh, and and you wonder if they even should be together. My position is that they should, and if. I see science and religion as being on a, on a continuum with religion at one end and science at the other. And I see the UFO phenomena as being right in the middle. And what joins 
those two fields of, of interest, religion or theology and science, uh, is the UFO phenomenon. You find UFOs in ancient literature. You find that UFOs technology answers many of the questions that science has about the unknown and about what uh, what the true nature of reality is. Uh, so this is my book is about uh, putting uh, this issue of theology uh, in the mix of uh, research into UFOs. Uh, and so I was I liked that term, the God hypothesis, and that Barry Downing, Dr. Barry Downing, uh, cre- uh, created. He wrote uh, he actually wrote an article for the MUFON Journal by that title back many years ago. So I kind of stole it from him. And then he he read the manuscript for the book. Uh, I wanted him to read it since I was uh, taking so much of his work. Uh, uh, and, you know, quoting from his book. Uh, and he liked my work so much that he wrote the introduction to the God Hypothesis, and um, I was very grateful for that. And uh, he's quite a guy, and you don't find too many people with those kind of credentials. Absolutely not. But it's interesting that uh, you finished your writing the book, I believe, the first edition of the book 20 years ago in 87. And I remember yeah. clearly because... I had just moved to Arizona from Southern California when 39 members of the Heaven's Gate UFO cult committed suicide. What did you think of this since it was right at the moment when your book was becoming available for sale? Did you stop the presses or was it too late? Well, it was too late. uh, It's very interesting. uh, When you... One of the things that happened to me when I got involved in UFO research, I, I became a, I, I took a course to become a certified hypnotherapist myself, so that I could do some of the research um, independently, and and also so that I could be sure that there were no leading questions involved. Um, but one of the things that happens when you get involved in UFO research and you really uh, 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 understand what it's all about is you you develop stronger intuitive uh, abilities. Uh, and I'm talking about, um, if, if not ESP, at least very strong intuition. And I was, um, my, my uh, publisher and I we were talking on the phone a lot just before the book was published. And we were saying, you know, it just seems like there's going to be something that's going to happen that is going to make UFOs and religion a hot topic in the news. It's just about time. Uh, maybe the Pope is going to make some statement, or uh, you know, uh, you know, something along those lines. Uh, and so the book was uh, at the printer, and uh, we were anxious to get it out there. And then suddenly, uh, on one evening on on CBS News, I saw Dan, Dan Rather was sitting there talking about UFOs and religion, uh, but he was talking about the mass suicide of the Heaven's Gate cult. Uh, and that is not at all what I had imagined or my publisher. And I did not want to get caught up in that firestorm of, of publicity that was going to be coming out. Uh, it was became a feeding frenzy of, uh, of the media, uh, just really loving this story about this crazy cult that committed suicide. And, and also the debunkers got involved and, and where they were saying, well, you see what we were saying all along is true. 
that being uh, in being a, uh, believing in UFOs is dangerous. That that it's that all a cult anyway, and that's what they want people to believe is that that if you are involved in UFOs research or if you go to UFO conferences, you're you're really a member of a cult, which is totally inaccurate. But it, you know, for people that don't know anything about it, uh, that that Heaven's Gate cult that, uh, event that created so much worldwide attention. Uh, was uh, pretty convincing to to ignorant people that oh wow this is you don't want to get involved in UFO uh, in UFOs in any way because look at what happens and um, so that was a a frightening point for me I did not want the book to be to get that kind of attention I didn't want to get involved in that discussion. Because it wasn't a rational discussion; it was a, uh, simply trying to uh, defend a UFO research uh, in a in a in a, uh, in a frenzy of, of media attention that really didn't want to hear rational discussion. They just they wanted to uh, believe what they wanted to believe, and I, I just kind of backed up. We we what we did was he just stopped the publicity. There was going to be a, 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 a publicity blitz on the book when it came out. I just asked the publisher to hold off on that. And we let the, the frenzy die down before, um, you know, I had to, and also I had to turn down a lot of uh, television interviews. I got a call from uh, the the TV program, 48 hours, uh, it was actually Dan Rather's assistant who called me. They wanted to interview me because the book had just come out. They found out about it, um, and I had to decline the interview. And uh, the, I remember the production assistant that called said, well, you are the one that wrote this book, aren't you? And I said, yes, uh, and you don't want to be interviewed on national television? I said, no. <laughs> and they didn't. she just could not understand why an author – would would not want to have that kind of publicity, but and I didn't explain it to her. Uh, but you know, obviously, uh, uh, you and your listeners know now that I could not do that and and maintain anonymity here in my community. Uh, I might have sold a lot of books, but I also could have gotten fired. Very, very smart on, on your part to do that. I'm glad <laughs> that uh, you were direct into the media friends because even today. Ufologists go to the media, and as you know, the majority are ridiculed. Imagine, imagine when this was happening. This has yeah. been, it, it's cat and fodder right there. But, um, yeah. you know, as your publisher said, it, during that time, maybe the Pope will make some statements about the reality of the UFOs, and exactly that's what happened years later. And maybe fundamentalist groups will declare UFO satanic. That happened, too. Yeah. Why do you think yeah. it took a decade or two for this to become, I wouldn't say mainstream, but more known? Well, you know, as I was saying before, uh, what, as far as public opinion is concerned, uh, it, the, the needle has been stuck on about 50 percent uh, of, of people think that UFOs are real and that the government is covering up information about UFOs. Uh, and and it just it, it I had high hopes when I got involved that that we were going to have um, more disclosure that we were going to have at least more people uh, becoming aware uh, that this was an important issue. But um, you know here we are, 20 years later, more than 20 years, and it's still about 50 percent. 
we, even though we've had great uh, cases, we've had great researchers, people with credentials, uh, until there is really full disclosure. Uh, and full disclosure is, you know, they get a big auditorium, they invite all the major media, they wheel out the wreckage of the of the um, uh, crafts they recovered, they wheel out their, they show off the re, back reverse engineered uh, UFOs, uh, they show the alien bodies, and they tell the whole story. That's disclosure. Anything else that claims to be disclosure, like this current effort by um, Tom DeLong to uh, uh, you know get these high-ranking government people involved in in um, telling their stories, uh, that's all been done before. I mean, you know, Stephen Greer has done it. Yeah. Took, took it to the National Press Corps. Uh, what did that, what did that result in? Nothing. It was like, you know, the press heard the story. Some of them, whoever went to the national press club to hear these great people speak, uh, it didn't result in national, uh, attention. Uh, UFOs are still a forbidden topic at the nation's major news media. Uh, and, and there's some, some reasons for that, but we can go into if you want to, uh, but it, it just isn't happening until the government lays it all out. And I will tell you this, my prediction is that they will never do that because if, if they dared to really go public with everything that they know about UFOs, ultimately they would have to talk about theology. They would have to get into the religious aspects and, and how long UFOs have been here and what they're, what they're doing, what their mission is and what, you know, how they interact with the human race has to do with uh, theological arguments about, you know, good and evil and, and God and angels and, and all that. They don't want to, that's the last thing that anybody in government wants to talk about. There is no political upside for any politician or person in government to disclose. None. It's all downhill from there. So no matter if a a president gets elected, says, I'm going to reveal all this. I want this all out. Within a a couple of days after he's been briefed, he's not going to do it or she because they realize what they're – once you start unraveling that ball of twine, they realize what's at the center of it. Well, not not only that, Joe, I don't mean to interrupt you, but not only that, but – I say this all the time, even at conferences, and people say, Mel, why do you have to be so pessimistic? We're trying to push disclosure, and you keep saying that the government will never release it, and I don't think that it ever will, because of what you just said, also because they would have to admit there are alternative sources of energy that are exotic, that could completely fracture the existing paradigm, among other things. Yeah, there are so many reasons. There are so many reasons why there's downside to disclosure for the government, uh, and there's no positive, there's no upside reason. Uh, I can't think of one upside reason for a politician to uh, get involved in disclosure. So the disclosure, uh, this whole thing about disclosure, uh, we have to talk about semi-disclosure, okay? Semi-disclosure is when uh, people in the know, people in government that are retired, where you know airline pilots and military pilots and 
you know, people come out and they, they tell what they know and, and the, the nation's news media won't cover it. Uh, but if any, if you want to know about it, you, you get on the internet and you can see, uh, these replays of these, uh, videos. Uh, that's, that is, that's been going on now forever, semi disclosure, but it's not ever going to convince the majority of the people that this is real until they have their own experience. That's another thing. If, if, if they, if you have your own experience, you don't need the government to disclose. My, my, uh, I've always said since I've been involved in this, that if you really want to know what's going on, uh, you can know. I mean, you can go to UFO conferences. You can meet the researchers. You can get involved in research yourself. Uh, I certainly was able to replicate uh, what uh, John Mack had done at uh, Harvard University with, uh, with the cases that he was studying. I was able to confirm uh, for myself the and for our team that uh, the basics of what um, – uh, people like Bud Hopkins and David Jacobs were saying uh, about uh, the the abduction experience. You know what the basically what happens and what, that it is happening. Um, but what's interesting is um, that you know a lot of people they don't want to know. It's scary. They 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 try to read one of these books and it scares them to death. I think one of the scariest books. Uh, about uh, UFOs was uh, Whitley Strieber's book Communion. Yeah, uh, you know a lot of a lot of people couldn't get past the first chapter. It was, it was terrifying. <laughs> He's such a good writer and also a very good friend of mine. But uh, you see, uh, it's there. It's there. You can you can learn as much as you need to know about the UFO mystery if you want to. But uh, if I hadn't gone to that first conference on a dare, and and I wouldn't be I wouldn't be sitting here right now telling you about this because I had to take that first step, and once I took the first step, well, you know, I I knew I had to do more, but uh, you know, not many people will take that first step. I've had uh, little conferences with with people, local doctors and lawyers, and and you know, after a little presentation at a dinner party. Uh, the question I got was, oh, okay, well, let's just say this is all true. And, you know, so what? So what? And I thought, what do you mean, so what? I mean, <laughs> it's like, how can you even ask that question? It is, it, this mystery, it, when you unravel it, it answers so many of the questions that the human race has always wanted to know. You know, why are we here? How did we get here? What, you know, we're humans are like blind mice running around, no idea why they're here, what they're supposed to be doing, uh, what's going to happen when they die, uh, where they're going to go, what's going to happen there. I mean, it's like totally blind. And one of the things that, that I am very grateful for. Uh, it, it, that I have uh, been able to learn about through my work with with uh, experiencers and using hypnotic regression is that I feel very confident that I have uh, actually learned the answers to all of those questions. And that's what I try to share with people. And what you just said, 
the people who say, so what? I think those are the debunkers. I think those are the people that no matter how much evidence you discuss with them or how many experiences or abductees share their stories, nothing will be enough to convince them that there's the possibility that there we have been visited for millennia. And they have to understand that most of our history, in my opinion, has been deleted. I mean, just thinking of the Library of Alexandria for one, the monolithic structures around the world, who built them? Some people say extraterrestrials. What about if it was us and we had the knowledge and we had the tools and the ability to do that with exotic technology that we can't even dream of having today? And perhaps a cataclysm happened and more control was, was in place to remove that knowledge so that we could be more in control. Many possibilities, but just to deny the possibility and to to discount it saying, so what? It's preposterous. Well, you see, I don't, I didn't, the the people that were saying, so what, these were intelligent, highly educated people, uh, physicians, lawyers. The thing is uh, that they didn't see, they couldn't see, and I wasn't able to show them uh, how it affected them. It was like, well, you know, the, should I adjust my stock portfolio? Uh, you know, uh, I've never seen one. And I, I don't really think that even if it's going on all around me, that it affects me. So so what? You know, uh, that's their attitude. It was it's an attitude. A debunker, I, in my mind, is someone who is actively trying to uh, put out disinformation and uh, discredit uh, credible people. And there are plenty of those. Oh, plenty, plenty. Now, when we refer to extraterrestrials, the more prevalent term is alien these days. Do you think this is the appropriate name or is it too simplistic? Uh, In my opinion, I think it's too simplistic. I think that what I think of, and I think what most people think of when they hear the word alien, if they're not talking about illegal aliens, uh, is right. um, yeah, a, a people that are somewhat like us, maybe uh, uh, a few hundred years ahead of us technologically, uh, from another planet who somehow made it here. Okay, that that's that's I think what an alien is. I, I don't see that at all in what uh, I have found in in this uh, research that I've done. That would not apply to the beings that that we're talking about. I'm talking about the beings that I'm uh, I'm not personally encountering, but are being encountered by my subjects. Uh, these guys are way, way beyond that. I mean, we're talking about uh, interdimensional beings, beings that can move from one dimension to another uh, at will, beings that can walk through solid walls, and beings that can somehow take you through a solid wall and levitate you. And I mean, this is uh, not like just some guy from another planet you could sit down at a bar and have a beer with. No, it doesn't work that way. And they're not just here to to study us. And, and you know, they don't come down and check the latest model of, of cars that we're driving and make notes of that. What they do is much, much more profound and has been going on forever. And that is they are uh, intervening in the natural evolutionary process of life on Earth. 
uh, and they had been doing this for a long, long time. And the way, the reason that they can do it for a long time is they can slip in and out of our time uh, uh, through uh, interdimensional travel. That's my theory. And I think that puts them in a different category. Uh, I think that really the the best names for them that I have come across are in ancient literature, uh, in the in the Dead Sea Scrolls, and in actually in the in the Book of Genesis. Uh, these beings are called watchers, and by that it is meant that they watch over the earth, that they are um, of of a, a an, an, I don't want to say angelic realm, but uh, that is the implication in these in the ancient texts in the books of Enoch that were found on in the Dead Sea Scrolls. There is the book of the watchers that tells the story of these beings who came from above, from the heavens, who came down to earth, and who mated with humans and created a hybrid species. I mean, this is exactly what's going on now. And it was going on back then, uh, but they called them watchers. I think that's a better term. Uh, other people have called them custodians of the earth. I think that's a good term. Um, if you want to just call them interdimensionals, that's fine. Uh, extraterrestrials, well, you know, if they if they have been here, if they've always been here, I'm not sure they are from someplace else, other planets. It's not like they when they uh, take somebody uh, into their ships to do the things that they do. It's not like they really explain themselves very much. Uh, it's not like they say, oh, yeah, we came from Zeta Reticuli. We, you know, took us such, such and such amount of time to get here and we come back and forth. No, you don't get any of that stuff when you're when you're dealing with with experiencers. You're lucky to get uh, much explanation at all. There are some cases where. Uh, the people do receive mental communications about uh, what the purpose is uh, of what's happening. And uh, I have, uh, by doing the hypnotic regressions myself, uh, what I have done is uh, discovered uh, some of the the real agenda that's going on uh, when people are taken. And uh, this has been done by suggesting to the person uh, that's being that's uh, under hypnosis to, um, you know, at, uh, first of all, I I, I have this uh, uh, technique that I use when the person is experiencing the most the scariest part of the experience, uh, lying on a table, uh, operation table, having these beings around them, uh, their hearts racing, tears are flowing. Uh, you can tell this is really. Um, the scariest part of the experience, I just suggest to them that they don't have to re-experience the fear and the trauma. They can just float above it and um, and report on it, uh, what what is happening as an objective reporter, kind of like uh, what you would be, what it would be like if you were just a, the camera, a TV camera recording what happened. So just float above it. Don't have to feel the feelings and be objective. And very quickly, it's amazing how this works. You can see their heart rate going down. You can see their, uh, they've stopped crying uh, and um, they've relaxed. And okay, well, now that, now that you can see it objectively, just tell me 
uh, look down, tell me what's happening. Oh, well, I can see myself lying on this table. I'm naked and I've got all these these beings that are around me and they describe them and, you know, and this is what they're doing. And if it's a woman, uh, you know, we get to the point where they're extracting the fetus from her. And this can be extraordinarily traumatic to, to re-experience, but I don't want them to re-experience it. I just want them to see what happened, uh, to see it objectively and, and to understand it, uh, and understand the meaning of it. So, um, we get them relaxed and, and put them in this state where they're observers instead of participants. And, you know, they, they're very objective and say, well, they they took this fetus and it doesn't look like it's human. And then um, I, you know, you try to reframe the experience so that they can see it in a more positive light. So you might ask, uh, well, is this uh, the type of baby that you think you could take home and raise? Oh, no, no, this is not This is not a human. This is something else. Uh, well, okay, well, you you know, it, as much as you'd like to have it for yourself, it wouldn't really be possible to do that. They agree to that. And then finally, I, I ask them to examine what's been going on in these creatures and, and to uh, I asked them first, uh, are they trying to hurt you? And the answer is always no, they're not trying to hurt me. And then I ask, okay, well, are they trying to scare you? Uh, no, 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 they're not trying to scare me. Okay, that's all good, good information. Uh, and then finally I get, well, okay, look at it carefully. And uh, if they're not trying to scare you, they're not trying to hurt you, what are they doing? And, you know, they'll say something like, well, they're just, they're like doing their jobs. This is their job. And they're very cold blooded about it. They're, you know, the worst thing that they say is that they're not uh, very friendly. They're not very caring. Uh, they just like, you're just on the production line, you know, but at the, at the same time, I, I, I asked them to look at it and, and tell me if they're evil, because this is really the scariest part for an experiencer is that the feeling or the the conclusion that they've reached that this is something evil. And I've never had anybody in that position tell me that they thought they were evil. By the time they get there and they're observing it uh, in, a, in a cold-blooded and very objective way, uh, I've had them say, well, I can't believe this. You know, I, I was sure they were evil, but uh, they're not evil. Uh, I said, okay, well, you know, uh, then here's the million dollar question. Uh, please uh, ask, try to figure out if you need to ask your higher self, your spirit guides, whatever you want to call them, ask why you're the one on the table out of all the billions of people on this earth. Why it's you? Why are they picking on you? And always, always the answer is I volunteered or I, I chose to do this. Uh, in other words, they come to the realization that they, at some point, uh, decided they were going to voluntarily be part of this program. And I, uh, at that point, I said, okay, well, let's go to the moment when you agree. And it's usually it's an in-between life, between between the last life and, and the current one, where they are in another dimension without bodies and they make this commitment to be part of this program. Uh, sometimes 
uh, they find themselves um, uh, in another place in an alien body. Uh, and they agree to come to Earth and, and, and incarnate as a human and participate in this program. And this completely changes their perspective. When they're finished with this session, they are no longer victims. And that is a major accomplishment, I think. So what is, well, first of all, I've always had that question. I've asked that question, Leo Sprinkle, David Jacobs, and everybody else. Who gets to be abducted? And as you say, because we agreed, and I'm so glad that you actually penetrated that point, and, and it's the moment when they agree. Is there, is there a soul connection here? Because some people like Dolores Cannon used to tell me there's a soul contract before you incarnate on this plane, if you will. You already have your instructions, but then where's free will? Yeah. Well, Dolores Cannon was absolutely correct. Uh, everyone comes into this lifetime with a soul contract, and that soul contract can be uh, include a number of things. It can be uh, to atone for, for past wrongs. Uh, it can be to learn things that you need to learn that you didn't learn in past lives. Uh, it can be to be part of a program, uh, to have a mission, uh, to accomplish that mission. Uh, and, and then there are uh, invisible guides that try to help us to accomplish those goals. But yes, there is free will. Uh, and if we don't follow that path, if we don't accomplish those tasks, then what happens is we just have to come back again and again and again until we do the things that learn the things that we need to learn. And that is the vicious cycle of reincarnation. Uh, and, and the only way to get out of that vicious cycle is to learn the things that 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 you need to learn uh as a, a while you're in the human body and it's always about the lessons are all about love and ultimately it's how to love unconditionally which is extraordinarily difficult that is to be able to love without strings attached you know uh i'll love you as long as you do this this and this but otherwise i'll divorce you or you know i i'll disown you as a child if you do, if you don't do what i want you to do that's not love so it, it, when i go to ufo conferences and i speak um i always warn them look i'm going to talk about love here i know you you're not supposed to talk about love at ufo conferences but i i do that not not always but well, you know when we get to this part of it um from the very very first cases i started working on we would get, but not me, but the hypnotherapist, the certified hypnotherapist would get the person uh, into a hypnotic trance and we would take them back to their experience. Sometimes they would just spontaneously go to a past life, spontaneously. And at first I thought, well, you know, that's not what we're here for. You know, that's, that's, that's we're here to get to the bottom of UFO mystery, not to hear about their past lives. I really didn't believe in past lives. I was open to it, but I didn't have any experience with it. But this kept happening over and over again. Uh, and then pretty soon I realized, well, the past lives and the in-between lives were where we were getting the best results for helping these people. When you go into UFO research and you are using hypnosis, you have to make a decision. 
are you going to be a hypnotist or are you going to be a hypnotherapist? And I right away realized that that I couldn't just use people uh, to pull out information as a hypnotist. Um, I believe that I needed to be a researcher and a therapist and that I, I had a duty to try to help these people uh, get out of the fear mode because that's, you know, these are people that can't sleep at night. They, you know, they're taking drugs to go to sleep and they're, uh, in, you know, they're scared to death most of the time. Their kids are involved. They're worried about their kids getting, you know, being taken. There's all these horrible fears. And if you can help them relieve those fears, then you've done something positive for them and, and you've done something positive for your own soul. So, um, you know, if you don't believe that you have a soul, if you don't believe uh, that there's other dimensions, if if you are a scientific materialist, uh, and unfortunately, uh, there's uh, too many uh, people in the UFO field that are uh, scientific materialists, that, that means they're basically atheists, and um, they're people who their most important uh, objective is to be seen uh, by the scientific community as being one of them. They want to be seen as being scientific, and it's not scientific to talk about past lives it, uh, or mid or or uh, reincarnation at all, uh, or or theology. And you, you see, I found that I could not talk about UFOs without getting into those subjects, and and that set me aside from. Uh, people like Bud Hopkins and David Jacobs and, and others who uh, were trying to impress the scientific community by being so scientific. Uh, but uh, I, 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 I believe um, that they were, they also were getting, well, I know for a fact, they were also getting uh, people who under hypnosis were experiencing past lives, but they didn't report those things because they didn't believe it. Anything that they did that uh, was not in line with their theory of evil aliens invading Earth, uh, at, who who came here uh, 50 years ago uh, for the first time, anything that didn't jive with that theory was thrown in the trash can. And uh, I don't think that's scientific. I think that is the opposite of scientific. Well, I remember many, many years ago, decades ago, when I started to look into past lives and I read the work of Dr. Brian Weiss with the book, Many Lives, Many Masters. I mean, he just wanted to mitigate some of the phobia some of his patients were displaying. And that's how he, you know, he didn't think that he was going to be able to go be beyond the existing, the current life. But, you know, you mentioned love. It wasn't to me until I would say 2009 or 2010 that I met with a, a number of researchers to come to mind, Grant Cameron and Colleen Andrews, the father of the term crop circles, mm-hmm. that the words spirituality, consciousness, love were now linked to the UFO topic. You were writing about this 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, I was. And lecturing about it. Uh, and, and, and getting uh, uh, criticized for it. Uh, you know, when uh, the one that, uh, that, uh, one researcher that uh, thought the way I did, or I thought the way he did, and we both came up with very similar conclusions, was Dr. John Mack. 
Uh, after that time that I saw him speak in 1993, we became good friends. And we began uh, speaking on the phone and communicating uh, regularly and getting together as often as we could at conferences. We we both were uh, speakers uh, at a big conference in uh, Brisbane, Australia in 97. And um, uh, he and I really saw things eye to eye. He was finding the same thing and talking about it in his books. Uh, he wrote about the, the the past life information that his uh, subjects were getting uh, and the spiritual um, uh, enlightenment that comes along with this phenomena, if you let it. Uh, it but you're not going to get it uh, by working with people who are atheists and, and who are while they have you under hypnosis, they're telling you what a terrible thing this is. They're telling you how these are evil beings. They shouldn't be doing this. And they're, they're putting these thoughts into people's minds while they're under hypnosis. And they're doing it because that's what they believe. That's what, that's what they think is really happening here. Uh, and they're doing more damage than good. I've had to undo some of that damage from people who came to me after they, uh, went to them and, and, uh, you know, came away more afraid than they were before. You mentioned the movie Contact in your book, uh, based on uh, the book by the late Dr. Carl Sagan. He was an atheistic scientist, but the movie was probably one of the best films about extraterrestrial intelligence and its impact on religion and theology. Do you think trying to separate ETs, UFOs, spirituality, and religion is even possible? I... I don't think so. Not not in my view, and not from what I have discovered. Uh, and and you know what's interesting is that uh, Carl Sagan was very much a, a scientific materialist. Uh, if he had any kind of spiritual um, feelings or thoughts, he didn't reveal it in his books. Uh, and I've read all of them. He he was brilliant, no doubt. But he was also one of these guys who wanted to be a wanted to appear to be scientific. And the scientific paradigm uh, is, a, is a materialist paradigm. Uh, and and we, earlier I mentioned uh, what uh, quantum physics has done for us uh, is to uh, broach uh, that, uh, that, er, that chasm between science and theology. It has, quantum physics has, uh, totally altered the way we should be looking at the nature of our universe. But, you know, unfortunately, uh, even though uh, as early as the, you know, late 40s and early 50s, uh, quantum scientists, physicists were already aware that that, um, that the physical nature of our universe has been, had been um, actually uh, debunked, there, that our universe is not a physical place. That it is uh, uh, based on uh, not a separation of uh, of everything, but actually unity is is uh, is the basic uh, underlying uh, structure of the universe. Uh, scientific uh, the scientific materialist view uh, is based on what we call the scientific method, and the scientific method is uh, a way of studying the universe around us that uh, requires that everything be separate. It means that to study the planets, we have to see them as separate from us. 
to study other people, we have to see them as being separate from ourselves. Uh, and to study lab, lab rats running through a maze, we have to devise a study uh, to, to learn certain things. But it all depends on the rats being separate from the, from the investigator. Well, the truth is that quantum physics uh, debunks that entire uh, system. Quantum physics has discovered that we are all connected uh, consciously, that there is uh, a, the universe is a conscious place, that it is uh, an intelligent place, and that we are all a part of that. Like we're, we are, our souls are swimming around in a sea of consciousness. And our bodies are are basically machines that uh, allow a soul to look at the the universe around him in a three dimensional uh, way. In other words, uh, you could say that you, a soul can strap on a body, a, hu- a human body, and see the universe as separation, as everything is separated. But when your soul is not in the body, it's very obvious that you are part of the whole. And and, uh, there is no separation. So as early as 1951, uh, in the basic book on quantum physics, uh, a very bright uh, protege of Albert Einstein by the name of David Bohm, B-O-H-M, wrote a book, and it was called Quantum Physics. It it became the textbook for physicists in the, in, as early as 1951. And in this book, he says, well, the old physics and the scientific method depends on everything being separate. But quantum physics has shown that there is no separation, that everything is one, at the, at the, the basic structure of our, of our universe is oneness and interconnectedness. And therefore, the scientific method is an illusion. Now, would, have, have you noticed that the scientists today are, are have, have accepted that notion? No. Scientists today are still using the scientific method, not accepting what has been proven. It's, that, it's the Berlin Wall in, in yeah. science today. Will it ever come crashing down? And, and we have to take a break. So I, I'd like to get your answer on the other side because I think we keep talking about this all the time on this radio program too, scientific materialism. You know, this concept, it's like a wall. Will it ever be... Will we ever see it come crashing down? The God hypothesis, extraterrestrial life and its implication for science and religion. How can people buy this book, your other books, and learn more about your work, Dr. Jules? Well, uh, Amazon.com. Just go to Amazon, search my name, Joe Lules, or The God Hypothesis, and uh, you'll find The God Hypothesis is available, and also uh, the sequel to The God Hypothesis is called uh, The Rulers of the Earth, Secrets of the Sons of God, and that is also available through Amazon. Folks, we have a lot, a lot more to unpack when we come back. I also like to discuss some of the cases, uh, people that you regressed and some of the things that you found. Also, the differences, if any, between the people that reported their encounters, experiences, abductions, whatever you want, fill in the blanks between the United States and other parts of the world. All of this when we come back. This is Mel Fabregas, and you are listening to 
Veritas. I'm here with Dr. Joe Lewis. Don't go anywhere. Thank you for listening to the first part of this very important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest and all of our material, proceed to the members section or subscribe at VeritasRadio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for MMS, Miracle Mineral Solution, Pure Organic Sulfur, and other great products. Thank you.